1: Well, welcome again to Bridge Church and despite all the you know, I actually get excited when stuff goes wrong during worship because that means we're doing something right. When when the lyrics start to flicker and I mean I've never been in the middle of a service with the commune <laughs> communion just like fell to the floor, but I'm like, okay, the enemy is getting a little nervous that we're st- stomping on some territory that he wants to claim is his. So I'm excited about what God has for us today. Anybody else anticipating? I know I am, and I'm particularly excited because I have been around the world in III. I, I. I couldn't find my baby, but now I'm back. As Tribe called Quest said, I'm on a world tour. Some of you have uh, been following my journeys, and basically a few months ago, what happened is I got a, f- a phone call out the blue and an invitation. Hey, would you be interested in traveling to five different countries on four different continents to explore how people's faith in Christ is influenced by their culture? And, you know, all travel expenses are paid for. Would you be interested in that? I was like, let me pray on that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm interested in that. And so I've been uh, partnering with our Daily Bread Ministries. Many of us know them from the devotionals that uh, they kind of print out on a monthly and basis. And uh, going through this journey of the, you know, we go to different countries and uh, we, they set up these conversations that I have and really just, you know, delve into the culture, the food, and experience how do people see Jesus in light of their culture and how does that How could that shape and form how I experience who Christ is? And it's been an incredible uh, opportunity, incredible journey. And uh, and I want to share with you some of the lessons that I've learned. I actually just got back from South Africa yesterday. So I'm still in Wakanda in my mind. I'm still there. That's why I had to represent with the shirt. But but there's just a few things that I wanted to share. And And as I came back yesterday and, you know, to turn my phone back off of airplane mode and and see all the notifications pop up, and to see what was happening in our country, it even made this message even more pressing and and, and, and present. And so it was a kind of a a, a sad but also um, very real confirmation. So I'm going to just kind of take you down this trip um, as I've experienced the world in the last month. Um, Just for context, I've been to three different continents, well, including this one, four in this month. Um, so uh, anybody want to take that journey with me here today? Yes. Anybody want to take that journey with me today? Uh, yeah. All right, there we go. There we go. That's the bridge that I know and love. Um, so my, our first trip was to Sweden. And I met a woman named Ida. Uh, she is from an indigenous people group called the Sami people. Now, I don't know about you, but I did not know that... Um, Sweden had, like, a whole group of indigenous people that were not identified with just, like, Swedish people, right, Uh, that we would know and see. But they are nomadic reindeer herders. So this is a, 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 a people group that part of their culture and their heritage for generations has been to herd reindeer, when it gets, you know, hot, they go up to the, like, northern part, the cold part of the, the, the colder is Sweden, <laughs> the north-north part of Sweden, and uh, when the ice melts and the, you know, and the, and the reindeer kind of eat and graze there, and then when it gets cold, they go down to the southern part. Now, where we're at right now, it's called Karuna, Sweden. This is about 90 miles north of the Arctic Circle, This time of year, it does not get dark. We got in at 1 a.m. off the plane, and it was just as bright as it is outside right now. Just an incredible experience. But specifically, I wanted to share the encounter with her because as she was talking, she's very passionate about sharing her culture. So we're in this teepee, right? And, you know, she got the fire going and, you know, eating this like reindeer jerky type thing that they make. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna be in the mix with the people and try some stuff I'd never had before. But... She began to talk about how 100 years ago or 200 years ago that the Sami people were all over Sweden, actually. But as a land grafts started to happen and people started to flex and wanted to build their own kingdoms in the southern part, they were pushed out. The native people were pushed out of their land and also decimated. And I said, that sounds really familiar. I've heard a story like that before. And the thing that started to just jump out and leap out at my mind was how everywhere I went, there was this recurring story that would take place that was in Sweden, but also when I went to Asia, and I'll talk a little bit about that, Latin America and Africa as well, as this tendency to to not just divide, but for people that are in power to dominate and oppress another people group. And it started to make me wonder, why is that Dynamic there. Why is it so hard for people not just to get along, but to actually do something more than that? Because the scriptural mandate is actually to something beyond just equality, it actually calls for honor that we honor each other. Someone say, honor. Honor—that's not a word that we use that much anymore. Even it's not even something we aspire to in the public sphere that we would uh, argue for honor. And it made me start making me wonder: Why is it so hard for us to honor each other? Why is that such a, a challenge to do across international barriers and boundaries? Why is that so difficult? Well, I know in our own context, in our own story, that there have been several factors, several different strongholds, I would say, that have caused this to be difficult. One of them is, as Brian Stevenson refers to it, who wrote the book Just Mercy, the narrative of racial difference in the West. Whiteness is elevated above all. It says that there's a, a model, there's something that's normative that looks like what, what we should all achieve to, whether that relates to straightening one's hair, lightening one's skin, changing one's cultural background and backdrop, whether, regardless of those things that and even it impacted, and as I was in Sweden realized that this distinct you know culture, the Sami people group, who were this nomadic, they didn't they had to either conform to this specific white standard. Or be eradicated. So that's one way that we see this unfold. Another is through um, gender inequality. And and we see this idea that shrouds the fact that it hides and covers the fact that God intentionally made men and women different and distinct. And that each fully represent his image and his likeness. And that that was his initial intent. But even that gets distorted. We see the trappings of wealth that tempt us to prioritize pros- the prosperous over the poor. We call that greed. We, have, we see it in a posture to just lock people up and throw away the key, not realizing that thereby go the grace of God, go I. You know, they say the average person breaks about 100 laws in the course of the day that we could easily be arrested for, like jaywalking in New York, hello, Um, (laughs) to name a few. The insecurity of power that causes us to marginalize those who identify as LGBT. Imagine the ministry opportunities that would open up if instead of judgment, we demonstrated compassion. Imagine the lives that would not be lost either through violence or even suicide. What if we realized that all these groups were worthy of honor, but what is honor? So, and, I, and I wanna t- take a look at this primarily from a theological standpoint and a, and a kind of more interpersonal standpoint. I, I got a chance to listen to what y'all been eating off of the last couple weeks and Dr. Carrion just blew up, the, you know, he just wrecked shop the last two weeks. And I could hear from the interaction on the podcast that y'all were feeling it. And I was, I was ready to shout there on the plane as I was listening to it. So it was pretty phenomenal stuff. And he talked about it from more of a structural standpoint and social inequality. So I want to kind of look at, okay, how does this hit us where we live yeah. at Bridge Church? Can we do that today? Because we absolutely need to talk about systemic issues and solutions, but there's also a, a factor because this is such a universal issue that causes us to go, well, what does it look like for us, especially as a church, where if we even look around the sanctuary right now, we see very different diversity and ethnic groups represented. What does it look like in the face of that? Well, the dip- dictionary definition of honor is high respect or esteem. High respect or esteem. Now, the reality is, even when even we look at that, Do you know, we are to ask ourselves, honestly, do I, is that my default position for every human being that I interact with? High respect and esteem. When I see the person, even as I was on the train on the way here and, you know, the blind, I was hearing my earphones. But then I see, you know, someone panhandling with a cup on the train. And it's my first default high respect and esteem. Regardless of what the Lord causes me to do in reaction to that. And here's the reality. We all face the same temptations, and so we need the same grace when it comes to this issue. This is not just a white or a black issue or Latin or an Asian issue or male or female issue. This is something we all have to deal with and struggle with. So why are people worthy of honor? It's a fair question. And it's a question that especially important in light of all these hierarchies of race and gender and class and culture that have been created globally. Why are people, regardless of anywhere they find themselves in that spectrum, worthy of honor? See, all of those things distorts an even greater truth, a foundational truth that we find in the very first chapter of the scriptures. Genesis chapter one, and this is the context, right? We see in the first five days that God says in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then it specifically talks about, you know, each stage of that. After the the earth is created, it specifically talks about, and he made the birds according to their kind, and the fish according to their kind, and animals that walk the land according to their kind. And then in verse 27, that rhythm changes up a bit. There becomes a break in the beat because y'all do know Genesis chapter one is a song, right? So this is actually applicable. And all of a sudden the breakbeat comes and it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And all of a sudden it changes. It doesn't say according to their kind because their kind was separate and distinct from God's kind. It says, no, he created them in his image. according to his likeness. And that changes everything. Because what that means is that there's something unique, distinct, and valuable in each and every one of us that gets distorted by our nonsense. David put it like this in Psalm 139, 13 and 14. He says, "For he's talking to God, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. In my mother's womb, I love that picture of knitting. It talks about this the intentional aspect and process. And then he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David is saying and that, and by extension, he's saying that all of us, he said, you know what? I woke up like this. <laughs> and God said, yo, it is good. Did you know that God doesn't just love you, but he likes you? He is feeling your swag. He like looks and goes like, yo, I did my thing with her over there. Like, well my, that's my dude right there. I did, you know, yeah. I gave Brandon some extra swollenness. I like that, you know. <laughs> but think about this. This is is why recent efforts to divide and even, you know, by leaders to talk about some people not being as worthy or some people not belonging is so demonic. Because what it says is that somehow what God did isn't all the way good. These are strongholds that are in our community, that are in our face, that we have to speak the truth to. And react to. Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? This is why I love, you know, and and this is why culture is so important. You know, anybody watch that movie, Crazy Rich Asians? You know, that that was why this was such a significant move, right, to be able to see a, 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 a culture and a people that is never really represented. And we all know about Black Panther too, in that same vein. This is why even the song Brown Skin Girl is so significant and hot because it's speaking to a reality that has been distorted. This reality is what theologians refer to as the Imago Dei. Say Imago Dei. Imago Dei. Dei is Latin for image of God. And it's a rich theological concept because it has all sorts of implications, both in terms of how we look at ourselves in the mirror and how we look at the person next to us. Because if it is true, think about this, that we bear the image of God each individual person, then how should that change the way I look at myself and the way I look at others? You see, I can tell that this distortion is such a stronghold that we have to attack because even to this day, when we talk about worth, right, we say, how much is somebody worth? And what do we mean when we ask that question? We mean how much money they have in the bank. We mean, what is their net worth as it relates to looking at their financial assets and their financial deficits? But that's the kind of thinking that got us into this problem in the first place. Measuring people based on their perceived value on some external characteristic. I believe when Samuel had this problem, when he was called to go and anoint the next king, God sent him to the house of Jesse. Jesse had 12 boys that were there, well, actually 13, but one of them they didn't even bother bringing because, you know, he was just a young runt looking after the sheep. And so he sees the the oldest, and he's strong, and he's ripped, and he's buff, and he's tall, and he's like, oh, that must be the king. Didn't learn his lesson yet from Saul because Saul was the tallest in all of Israel. This is good news for a brother like me. That's 5'7", you know what I'm saying? I I like these messages. Um, But, (laughs) amen. And God said, no, that ain't it. That ain't it. He went down the whole list from top to bottom, tallest to short. And then he's like, it? And none of them were it. And then he said, go send, so David, is this, all your, is this all your sons? No, there's one that's out in the fields. And they said he came in and he's this young kid. And God said, that's my, that's my chosen one. See, here's the key thing. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Our sense of worth is not measured by the amount of numbers that are in our bank account. It's not measured by the amount of letters that come after our name, M.D., Esquire, whatever. It's it's, it's measured by the fact that God has put his eternal stamp in us and on us, and that is true whether I am panhandling at Atlantic Avenue or if I'm in the penthouse on Wall Street. But tragically, we don't Honor each other as the Imago Dei. This is a story that since the fall, we talked about Genesis 1, we don't have to go too much further. Genesis chapter 3, Adam begins to blame Eve. Cain kills Abel. And from that point on, there's this human tendency to put ourselves over others. It's a story that plays itself out nation to nation, but also person to person. So what do we do? When our own priorities and preferences take precedent over other people, we need a heart change and a heart check. And that's where we're going to find ourselves primarily in this incredible passage in Philippians chapter 2 for the remainder of our time when Paul deals with this very issue. Because not only is this an issue out there, but it's also an issue in the church as well. And if the people of God can't get this right, then what hope do we have that anybody will? But Philippians 2, this is what Paul talks about, and he, and he starts, and he, he gives this appeal. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This one might hurt, so I'm just going to have to amen myself this message. Because this message is totally countercultural. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Our culture says do everything from selfish ambition and conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. What? That sounds like being a doormat. Now... Paul writes this in a specific context. There was a division going on in the church of Philippi. We, we later see him explain this further in chapter 4. You can go and check that out later. But all you need to know is two sisters, Judea and Cintiq, two people who Paul calls his co-laborers, had a sharp disagreement. Similar to the one maybe him and, Paul, and Silas had. But thankfully, we don't have sharp disagreements in the church anymore, Right. Not here at Bridge Church, you know, there's never like differences over opinion on ministry issues. (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's funny. Because here's the reality, ministry draws us close together, and whenever you get iron together, and then it starts making sparks. That's what it takes for iron to sharpen iron. And so what we see as somehow an accident or somehow a distraction to ministry is actually the opportunity for the love of Christ to actually d- demonstrate and bear fruit in our lives. And we see this all around us. Let me tell you about uh, the next trip that I took after Sweden was in Singapore. Now, while I was there, we interviewed and mostly talked to the, the majority culture that, that's there, which is Han Chinese. About, they make up about 75% of the population. And we kept hearing about how, even though Singapore was pretty diverse, that there wasn't a lot of ethnic issues and racial disharmony. But I was hearing that from the majority culture. So I kind of was like, I need to hear this from somebody else that's on the other side of this thing, just to make sure. Because sometimes people aren't always aware of those differences. So I just ran up to this random dude on the street and was like, hey, are you Malay? Because Malay is the next, the, the, the minority group. And the brother was like, yeah. I was like, hey, I'm from America. I just wanted to talk to a Malay person. He was like, yo, I'm about to go get something to eat. You want to come? And I was like, cool. So we made fast friends. We sat down, and this is literally the same day, like the same moment. Like I met this dude like 20 minutes ago. And while I was there, I just kind of started to ask him. Now, Malays make up about 13% of the population, same as African Americans in the United States. And so I asked them, like, what is the culture like? Like, how do you experience? He was like, yeah, they discriminate against me. It's like, you know, I'll be in line and then, you know, everybody else will get this, like, nice treatment. And then, like, they'll look at me like, what you want? And then I'll sit down and everybody else will get their food first. And I was like, what? Over here in Singapore? He was like, yes, he was like, but also that the culture is dominated by groups of people who as immigrants came over to find a better lives for themselves. Meanwhile, our culture, the Malay culture is much more relational, much more laid back. And so we get accused of being lazy. We get accused of not just being, you know, that industrious like, like the rest of Singapore. And I was like, what? this is sounding familiar. But, but see, here's why this is such a universal reality. You take human arrogance, just an individual, say, like, I'm, I look at myself and I go, I'm better than other people because of blank attribute. And then if everybody around me has that same attribute, that becomes ethnocentrism, which becomes the basis for racism. This is what we're like, or, you know, this is what it's good to be like. Right, so if that's industrious and not so much relational, well, you know what? Our working hard gets us to get things done, and then that's where we produce this. And so it all starts with, and then of course structures get re. But it would be the it'd be the same as if people built culture around and tried to prioritize extroversion versus introversion. Any my introverts in the house? You know, yes, they're like, we don't do that. <laughs> that was a very extroverted question. My bad. <laughs> Just say yes in your heart. Um, <laughs> but you know, the US is a very extroverted, tended culture. And so for the introverts in the house, they oftentimes will feel that sense of, of pressure. That, but if you go to Singapore, it'd be the opposite. But how do we get past these things? It takes getting to know people that we normally ignore. Honor is impossible without humility. I can't honor someone as higher than myself if I just think I am worthy of all the attention and that the way that I do things is the best way to do them. To honor other means to humble myself so that someone else gets the shine. It's hard to do that if I'm looking at myself as God's gift to this world. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Think about that. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is such an interesting passage in Romans. It's basically saying, okay, this is, he says, this is what I want you to do. Love each other with this kind of affection, but then outdo. It says, if there's going to be competition, let the competition be how you can outdo each other and showing honor of each other instead of trying to see who deserves the most shine. Y'all saw this happen with the disciples, right? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? They're sitting there arguing, trying to see who could be closest to Jesus. And then Jesus says, hey, the greatest among you must be the least. The greatest among you must be the servant. The greatest among you must be like this child. The greatest among you must do what I am doing in washing your, each other's feet. Are we running to outdo one another in showing honor? The only competition should be in outdoing one another. That's the only competition that should exist between us. Why? Because we are one body. In Christ, the picture that we are given in the scriptures is this interdependent reality called the body of Christ. Now, I want you to just look at your hand for a second. Just go ahead. Just just look at your hand. Now, are any of your fingers disposable? (laughs) Like if somebody just came up to you right now like, yo, can I borrow your pinky? (laughs) Would you just be like, all right, cool. I don't need it as much as my thumb, so I'm good. None of them are. We want all of our pieces, right? external and internal. Amen. And so in the same way, they're saying, now here's the interesting reality. Not all of our body parts are seen as equally necessarily as valuable. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul puts it this way. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow, look at this, the greater honor. So it's like, look, those parts of the body, like there was a, a, just this perspective that we can have where we go, okay, well, that, that, that shouldn't be seen in public, so therefore it's less than. It's like, no, 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 no. All of our parts are equally important. Amen. Amen. Now, this is especially important in church. Many of us are not where those in the world would say we should be, but if we divide in the church, then that means we are amputating part of God's body. In a vain attempt to do plastic surgery. As the body of Christ, we need each other. Turn to somebody and say, I need you. Turn to the other person and say, I need, you need me. Okay, now we're gonna start singing Hezekiah Walker now. Um, but it's true though. Think about that, that there's this inter, dependent reality. The younger needs the older for mentorship, the rich need the poor and vice versa. Those of us from different cultural backgrounds need each other to gain new perspective, but it takes work to get there. So how do we grow in honoring others? How do we do this? How do we do it? All right, I'm gonna get just through the rest of this passage because it gives us the, the insights right here. It says, Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Oh, man, can we get into this thing right here? He says, look, this is the how-to. How do you do it? Everyone not look to their own interests, but to the interests of others. The refugee crisis is a perfect example. The reality that people don't often, and I don't see the left or the right, and people deal with this reality. Just like when you invite somebody to your house, right, and there's like less space there than it used to be, there is always a cost involved with in welcoming in the stranger. The question is, is another human being made in the image of God fleeing from violence worth it? Is it, is it worth some additional risk involved that something might go down, that someone might get desperate and commit a crime? That's the real issue that we need to look at and, and wrestle with and embrace. And I'm not trying to get super political, but there's just a basic reality of human dignity that gets missed in this discussion. There's always risk involved. I'm grateful that somebody took the risk on me and decided to you know, uh, just bring me into the world. My mom got sick, hurt. The doctors told her to abort me because she was, you know, in danger of dying. I'm grateful that she took the risk to have me. There's, there's oftentimes risk involved with bringing life. But if I honor somebody else, then that means that I am putting them before myself. Look, it says, adopt the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God to be grasped. Look, he's saying, look, Jesus theologically speaking was with God in eternity for was God. We see that in John chapter one, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Go down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. The pre existent Christ, fully being exalted and worshiped in heaven, said, Wait a minute, my creation is in trouble. There's no way that they can be reconciled to me unless I do something. So he did not consider equality with God. It's something to be exploited. He did not exploit his privilege. He took himself out of the safe confines of the heavenly suburbs, went down into the hood of Nazareth for the sake of people. And guess what? Got murked. That's what happened. Instead, it says he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. And that would have been enough. That's enough of a transformation if we stopped at the incarnation, if we stopped at the fact that he was born in a barn in a stinky you know, manger or trough that animals eat out of. That would have been enough. But look at what the next verse says. In being found in human form, he humbled himself even to death on the cross. Do you see the contrast here? Jesus gave up his comfort for us, not arguing for, well, there goes the neighborhood, He says, no, I'm going to bring heaven down. I'm going to bring my neighborhood down into the midst to transform people's lives. That's what I'm going to do. Jesus gave up his honor for us. This was not just a systemic solution to the problem, but a very personal solution to the problem. Jesus gave up his honor for us. And then he says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. This is the connection that Paul is making. Notice how, by the way, parenthetically, the deepest theological insights that Paul gives are always have serve a very practical reason. Be careful if you're up in a book somewhere, just meditating on the deep truths of God and not trying to apply them into your particular circumstance. That's an imbalance. Paul is, he, he, he goes to these heights to make this point. He talks about the, the great process of God coming into the form of a man and dying on the cross to get to the point for Judea and Sintiq to get along. And says, therefore, let us do the same for each other. That's the point here. Not just so we can go, yo, man, that's so dope, like how he just came into the form of a man and died. No, that's, like, that's cool, but it goes someplace. It gets us to a point. Let us do the same. Now, this is hard. And especially in a diverse environment, especially in an um, environment marked by racial, the narrative of racial difference, the, the narratives, narratives of these, this, this makes it difficult to do. And let me tell you, Bridge, we cannot just be com- comfortable and walk out of here and go, yeah, you know, so you know, my church, you know, we real diverse, and I don't know anybody else that looks different from me. We just happen to sit in the same row together on Sundays. That is not the vision that God has for what this is supposed to look like. It's supposed to affect our relationships. I am, I got to speed through the rest of this. Okay, so here's some practicals. One, actively listen to the stories of your brothers and sisters. When I just was in Cape Town, South Africa, and I got the opportunity of interacting uh, with uh, artists in this neighborhood called Woodstock. Now, Cape Town, they have like, In South Africa, in general, there's like black South Africans, like the different ethnic groups—the Zulu, the Osa—I got the click, you know what I mean. Know how to do that? You know, flexing a little bit. Um, You know, other groups—the Bende. Um, And then there's the white South Africans, either English or Afrikaner, and then there's this group called the Coloreds. Now, I know in the States you don't call nobody colored because that's an offensive, outdated (laughs) racial category, but in South Africa, that's actually like a thing. Like, there's just no context behind it. They're coloreds, and they're like a mixture of of different ethnicities and and, and races, and and they kind of like represent, like they're in a lot of ways in the hood in, in, in um, South Africa. There's a you know, mixture, there's some middle class and beyond. But in Cape Town in particular, they're called Cape Town Colors, it's kind of rough around those streets. And uh, this guy, they, as a result of that, they started to express themselves in street art in this one neighborhood because on the sides of these band uh, buildings. And, this was, uh, and so the guy was giving us a tour and he showed us this one image. And this is Beyonce and Nala from The Lion King. They just painted this joint like a, a month ago. And this artist, she, she goes by Nard and um, you can see the little crown on the, the lion's head, and there's this picture, and you start to see this interaction that's happening with America and especially African-American culture, and it's all over the place. I talked to hip-hop artists over there, and I mean, some, I'm like, "Yo, are you from Brownsville? Are you from here? Because you you got the same swag. Like we talk the same. What's going on?" And it was an amazing thing. But the guy that was our tour, his name is Zach. He um, You know, I got a picture with him and the other uh, color guy that was our, like, kind of our guide throughout the whole thing named Winna, and he just took us around his neighborhood and I just listened to their experiences, and it was so enriching, and it helped me understand what was going on in their hood and also in mine, and the value and the importance of art. It's important for us to listen. The second point is we must lament the dishonor that your sisters and brothers experience. We don't know how to lament too well in our culture, and you know, because we like to just stay up on that high. We like to just get in our get our praise on. But in the Psalms, I've been reading through the whole the Book of Psalms for this entire year, and I'm it's staggering how many laments that you see in Psalms in comparison to how we. So Psalms is basically like a worship book, right, for the people of Israel, and a good a third of that book it's dedicated to lamenting to, to crying out to god to expressing the, the 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 pain and the and the weeping over difficult situations and that's something we have a hard time of doing but when i was in argentina i got an opportunity to see this there's there was i found out about this story devastating story uh, los Desperacidos, the disappeared and basically between 1974 and 1983 a military regime stifled dissidents by literally kidnapping anybody that they suspected of being part of a resistance that wasn't with the MO of the group and up to the numbers of 30,000 people. And they would take them in planes. Nobody would notice until years later, fly them over a river and just throw them out the plane. And now in the meantime, there were all these desperate people that were trying to figure out like, what's going on? Where are our brother? Where's my uncle? Where's my sister? But the only people brave enough to do anything about it were these mothers who they would wear these white handkerchiefs over their heads and they would meet in the town square every Thursday and demand answers for what was going on. And most people identify and and, and say, yo, they were the people that changed these women who literally based on their society had the least amount of power, but they had the most amount of courage. And they literally brought enough attention and awareness that the regime toppled. But get this, they still meet at that same square on Thursday at 3.30 to lament the loss of life that existed. We have, that's why we have to stop what we're doing and, and take note of what's happening around us. To take note what's happening in El Paso. To take note of what's happening in Dayton. To take note of these things and just be at a place where we can weep with those who weep. The third... Tell your story, speaking the truth in love. Tragically, oftentimes the church is the last place where people can go when they experience failure and brokenness. People can just kind of quote some platitudes, well, you know, trust God, or, you know, you reap what you sow if you did something wrong. And this is especially true in honor-shame cultures, like in Asia, where I experienced, where the sense of shame is attached to someone's identity. And I met this uh, person, his name was Tan, and he talked about how he had experienced losing his wife to cancer when he was a pastor in a church. And it was a very difficult thing. They had several kids. And um, eventually he got back on his feet. He remarried. But the, the person that he remarried did not want to associate with his kids at all. And their relationship ended up ending in divorce. And he said, that is the kiss of death in Asia, especially if you're a ministry leader. Everybody just turns their back on you and say, you failed. And so um, that's where he found himself until he met another widow uh, named Bernice. And together they uh, began to start this ministry called, I love the, the name, Grace Works. And the whole ministry is focused on on helping people realize that there is grace even after you experience hardship, that you don't have to try to give somebody some quick answer when they experience loss of life. Maybe you've been there and some well-meaning person, you just lost somebody and they just try to make you feel better real quick, as opposed to just sitting down with you and just weeping where you weep and just allowing you to tell your story. And they help believers to wrap their heads around, how do we just grieve with people? How do we listen to them as opposed to just shunning them as outcasts? And And the grace I experienced in just experiencing them was just profound. And here's the reality. We need to be able to do that even when we don't agree with people. Some of it it, it could be because we experience loss. Other times, somebody jacked up their life. Anybody ever jack up your life before? I know I have. And in that moment, grace still works. I love what my man Propaganda Rapper says. He says, being right is a distant second to the joy of compassion. But oftentimes we replace that joy for the sake of being right. And especially in community, that's a killer. Because when people are hurting and struggling, even sometimes with their own bad decisions, the last thing they need is for somebody to be like Job's friends and be like, see, what you need to do is you need to, you know, no. We just need to be with people in that midst. Am I willing to do that and honor people even in the midst of that? Even when sometimes their bad decisions affect me. I mean, can I, can I get real, real quick, Bridge? You know, we're 80% single. I'm sure some of y'all in here have been broken up with somebody else. And I'm sure maybe it was more one person's fault than the other. Do we have enough Holy Spirit in us to still be able to walk toward each other and grow even in the midst of such pain? Lastly, well, how do we do that? Yeah, I'm just gonna keep moving with that one real quick. <laughs> I better keep moving. (laughs) That wasn't in the notes, y'all. That that was for somebody. And I ain't been around, so I don't know nothing. Um, (laughs) Lastly, honor the head. Honor the head. This is, (laughs) the ultimate unity happens when we declare Christ. Little bit of a sidebar, but important plug. One of the ways we get to apply this, we have a worship night coming on uh, Thursday. Um, next, and, and that's going to be something important. Is it next Thursday? This Thursday. This Thursday coming up. 8-8. Eight, eight. That's going to be important as we worship together. Because look at what happens in the last verse, y'all. Last verses of what Paul talks about. So you hear the, you know, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. You heard what Christ did. Now look at what God did in response to Christ's humility on the cross. For this reason, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, look, the reason why we have to honor each other, Jesus gave us a picture, not just of ultimate humility, but there's a direct proportion to the type of humility you exalt and the type of exaltation that God will give you. It's okay to experience in the desire, God wanting to say, well done, good. And faithful servant. That's not a bad thing. The way we get there is by recognizing the importance of humility. It said, because Jesus humbled himself, even to death on the cross, that for this reason, God highly exalted him. And now he is the model. In fact, in Colossians chapter one, it says that he is the true, completely pure icon, the image of the invisible God. That Greek word icon is where we get it from when we look at our apps. And what happens when you look at an app, right? There's a little circle. It's a small representation. You know when you go to that messages bar and you see the little indications, you click that open, and it opens to you the whole world of what is in that messages. And Jesus is, God is saying right here that Jesus is the icon. You want to get a glimpse of what God is, of who God is? You got to click on Jesus. And when you click on Jesus, you get the fullness of the impression of God. And that looks like humility before honor. And he says, therefore, he is the name above every name. And I love this, that every knee will bow. And just in case we didn't know what the every was, he identifies with the every. I'm not just talking about every living human being that's on the earth, but I'm talking about every angel. I'm talking about every demon. I'm talking about everybody that's in the ground. I'm talking about everybody will bear witness and acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even at the end, Jesus is saying, I'm not doing this just so I can get my shine, but I can show my shine to my daddy because he's worthy of all the praise. And when we recognize that worship on this earth is preparation, it is practice, it is rehearsal for what is going to come. And literally there is a continuity between the type of worship and devotion that we express and experience now and what we can expect and anticipate in heaven. Put it simply, What we do here on this earth matters. We need to be the representation of what people are looking for. You are worthy of honor because God put his stamp on you. You bear his image. And because we are his image bearers, we are to go out together and represent him to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you bear... In us, you give us your image. And Lord, in the midst of a time and in the midst of a world in which so many barriers to that truth get set up, we ask that you would remind us of that personally, remind us of that truth, that we're all made in your image, that we're all worthy of honor. As we go out there, Lord, let us be the church that sees each other, that values each other, and that worships together. In Christ's name. Amen.
0: We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.